SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Good evening and welcome fellow South Africans. Hashtag African narrative. That's the segment in our show in which we are now entering and it's a discussion with Mr. Ronak Gopaldas, who's the director at Signal Risk. UK-based, of course. The conversation is about the island state of Mauritius, largely known as a tourist mecca for people all over the world. Recent events have certainly upended many of those ideas, one, because of COVID and lack of travelling, but more importantly and more gravely, the recent oil spill that has not just had an environmental impact, but had a political impact of the kind that would have seen in the nation's capital some 100,000 people take to the streets in protest in recent time unrivaled unprecedented your thoughts on the fallout if you will on the oil spill good evening mr ronak kopaldas thanks for your time good evening Songezo. good to be with you the oil spill happened whilst it could always been have preventable it did happen but people from mauritius are angry more about the fact that the oil spill happened and the results that it has had and more especially the lack of response that would not have satisfied the Mauritian people. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. And I think that, that outpouring of frustration and anger was, was felt on uh, in, in September um, on the 25th when you know 100,000 people came out to the streets of Port Louis that represents uh, roughly a tenth of the Mauritian population in, in total. So quite significant numbers over there. Then there was another demonstration in Maiburg with uh, 25,000 odd people. Um, and, you know, for a country that's political culture is relatively docile, these these really are remarkable protests that really reflected the, the anger at the management of the, the oil spill. And in that regard, there are two primary grievances that the, the general populace had. Uh, number yes. one is that the, the uh, oil spill response was, was far too slow, um, that the government was asleep at the wheel and with proactive action, it could have prevented a lot of the damage from, from happening. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the image that really got a lot of people in Mauritius were, were the 50 kind of whales and dolphins that were, were, were washed up on the shore uh, in, in Mauritius, which, which really brought it uh, home quite significantly. And then the second issue was the fact that... Um, the version of, of events by the Mauritian government that's been put forward doesn't match the the version that's been been put forward by independent observers and experts on the matter. So, um, you know, there's suspicion of a cover-up uh, and, and, and some uh, a lack of transparency around this, a lack of accountability, uh, and that's really uh, piqued the public's uh, anger and, and frustration at this, which is why we've seen the, the demonstrations and the actions that we, we have. In recent memory, certainly Mauritius would have prided itself on good governance. That for the longest time was their model, given the fact that they are an island state and to the extent that they want to be getting the world's attention, it would be for the right reasons. Also, outside of the tourism um, economy, they've got very little else upon which to go. So for them, their clean governance would have been a strong signal to attract international investors and international tourists, obviously um, for the reasons that I've just highlighted. But you raise now that very thing, 
that Mauritius has for a long time on the African continent been heralded for as the one thing now that would have precipitated the protests, one involving 100,000 and another 25,000 in a space of two weeks. What does that signal to the international community in relation to the political stability then of the island state? Yeah, so you're you're quite right. Mauritius has prided itself on on being the best governed and best run country in Africa. It routinely tops indices like the Mo Ibrahim uh, Governance Index, World Bank ease of doing business rankings, uh, features very strongly in Transparency International's uh, index as well. Um, And, you know, I think the recent demonstrations in Mauritius have caused people both internally and externally to sit up and really take notice uh, and, and question whether this this is actually slipping and you know there are a number of reasons for this you know we've talked about the oil spill and and the bungled response in that regard but there are other issues as well um increasingly we're seeing corruption scandals uh involving involving the the current political administration in particular the prime minister resurfacing um and you know it's it's quite sophisticated white collar corruption but you know it's it's starting to emerge more and more frequently which is which is worrying uh and then in the financial sector and the offshore sector there are a number of issues as well. Um, you know, Mauritius was recently blacklisted by the EU for gaps in its anti-money laundering and terrorist finding, financing uh, frameworks, um, and that was confirmed recently in, in October, uh, which is a, a body blow to the country's image. Uh, last year, also, it had another scandal, uh, and there were accusations, you know, that it is uh, being used as a money laundering hub, um, which really dented the, the image of the country as well. So, you know, the, the combination of these factors is, 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 is really doing a lot of reputational damage and, and damage to investor sentiment, which could start to affect investment uh, and capital flows into the country. So, you know, Mauritius is a country that has been very nimble in terms of its governance. It's reinvented itself many times in the face of external shocks. Uh, it's moved from an agrarian to a manufacturing to a services economy. The question is, can it do it again this time? We're in conversation, South Africans, with Mr. Ronak Gopaldas, who's the director at Signal Risk, UK-based organization. Of course, this on the African narrative, a conversation of and about Mauritius, not just the oil spill, but more importantly, the aftershocks of the oil spill, which would have seen their capital being descended upon by 100,000 of their people. That's some 10% of their population. Put differently, that's a march of about 5 million people to our capital here in South African Pretoria, 5 million closer to 6 million. That's the kind of opprobrium that the public has in relation to the recent political events. Would that therefore mean there is a lot of pressure on the Prime Minister Juganov? Um, there has been, been a significant build-up of pressure, but the, the government has responded in a number of ways which have Placated a bit of the public anger, and, and of course that to subside a bit. You know, it's pledged to, it's pledged to initiate a commission of inquiry into the oil spill uh, to to provide the accountability that people are, are looking for. It's also responded with economic measures for those that have been affected by the the oil spill. Um, and I think you know there will be a, a cabinet shakeup to 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 again. Uh, appease some of these these concerns. But I think, you know, the the broader issues with regards to the political establishment in Mauritius, uh, and particularly the dynastic system of, of politics that they have over there. You know, since independence, only three three families have, have assumed the, the the leadership of the country. The hold it family, there, hold the it there, Ronak. Please hold it there. Yep. We're going to talk about since independence, only three families have come into power. We have to take an ad break now. That's the last point from which you're going to carry on after the break. 
Alternative Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. We are in conversation with Mr. Ronak Kopaldas, who is a director at Signal Risk. It's a UK-based organization here on the African Narrative, discussing the question of how Mauritius will recover from recent turbulence in their political life. Very recently, there was an oil spill towards the end of July. It would have taken the Prime Minister two weeks to declare a state of emergency. And I suppose this does call us to just engage the nation-state itself in terms of since independence, as my guest has alluded to, there only have been three Three families who have been in the reins, so to speak, 1968 to now. That's quite some time. We're talking about 52 years. Could this be the beginning of a major political shakeup then in that regard, Ronak? So, I mean, you know, there's, there's broad disenchantment and uh, and frustration with the, the political elite. And I, I mentioned this concept of dynastic democracy, that power and influence is recycled amongst this, this very narrow circle of political elites and, and the population's growing frustration, growing frustrated with with that. So the country finds itself at quite a delicate uh, political and economic moment. As we know, the very acute economic pressures that have been induced by, by COVID as well. So, you know, something's got to give. And, you know, this younger population is demanding better governance. Um, the country has also now become a middle-income country, and, and the, the needs and the demands uh, have changed. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that's, that's a significant challenge that this, this old guard of leadership uh, has not quite yet mastered. So I think, you know, the, the current leadership is going to need to become more adaptive to the realities and the needs of, of the population. Otherwise, there, there may well be a shift in the political culture. In relation to the environmental impact of the oil spill, going back, if you like, full circle to the entry point of this conversation, that does not need politics. That just needs pragmatic governance and government to rally its resources, especially at a time where resources have to be prudently spent, given the fact that the economy would have taken a major hit owing to COVID. That environmental impact cannot be ignored, more especially when the conversation around environmental awareness is high in the context of climate change, among others. To see so many dolphins lifeless because of an oil spill that, by some accounts anyway, could have been prevented, is something which in any event needs the attention of the government. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think the the, the issue highlighted the governance deficiencies. Um, it's really also... Sp- shown the spotlight on on changes to that are required in the Mauritian economic model um, you know the the blue economy and the green economy are going to be front and center of, of any new new approach that the country needs to take uh, you know the blue economy entails things like like the fishing industry the aquaculture ish, uh, industry tourism uh, and the likes and and I think um, the, the marine biology and diversity is also front and center of that. So again, you know, this is a resource that Mauritius has a significant comparative advantage in uh, and one that it cannot afford to, to waste. And that's actually what's, what's really invoked a lot of the, 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 the uh, anger as well. Um, similarly, you know, you're quite right. Sustainability considerations in terms of the green economy uh, is something that the, the administrators and the policymakers are going to need to priority, prioritize now. Uh, the country needs to become eco-friendly. Uh, it's a comparative advantage that I think uh, it can leverage as it transitions to a new, a new plane. And you know that's really important in the context of the shocks that it's facing. You know, it's a country that relies heavily on tourism, um, 
you know, with SAA and Air Mauritius, uh, two carriers that, that bring a lot of tourists into the into the country, uh, grounded. Um, you know, there's, there's a problem there. Uh, the, the countries in Europe which bring the most tourists, the UK and France, are experiencing significant problems. So the hospitality and tourism industry, which is a big forex earner, is, is under the cosh. Uh, we've discussed the issues around the financial sector and the offshore sector as well. And then given the disruption to global supply chains in terms of, of, of uh, what's, what's happened with, with COVID as well, um, and the, the economic fallout from that, there, there may well be issues around food security. So Mauritius needs to go back to the drawing board and, and think quite long and hard around where it has comparative advantage and what it can do to prosper uh, and what, what strengths and skills it can leverage as it moves into this new post-COVID world um, where it can leverage its, its geopolitical advantages and its economic advantages. Mm. Talking about all of those advantages, a reality for any island state is how strong its marine life is. Political marine life, defense marine life, economic marine life. When I say marine life, I also include maritime and, of course, there would be a steady... Um, incoming and outgoing of of vessels. Now, that oil spill has forced the question to be asked, is Mauritius now responding to it wholesale in terms of making sure something of the kind doesn't happen again? Whilst it may have been an oil spill now, it could quite easily have been essential supplies, particularly those responsive towards COVID coming from mainland Africa. And of course, for so long as aviation is on the downturn as it is, the only other way to access Mauritius is via the sea. What conversations are taking place, in other words, not just from the protection of its sovereignty, but making sure that it participates in the global trade and economy? So that's an interesting question. I think we, we need to zoom out a little bit to, to answer that properly. I think the, the global geopolitical shakeup that we're, we're currently seeing uh, in, the, in the aftermath of COVID, uh, and even before that, to be honest, is going to become a very interesting uh, game of chess that Mauritius is going to need to play. So by that, I mean, it's got a comparative advantage in terms of its location in the Indian Ocean. Uh, it is uh, an attractive base and a gateway for many countries who want to operate on the African continent. Um, and, you know, as a country that has links with Europe, has links with India, has links with China, and uh, is now trying to pivot towards the African continent, uh, it's going to be quite pivotal uh, in, the, in the coming decades. How it plays this game, uh, this geopolitical chess game, is going to be, be very interesting. Uh, and the strategy that it's adopted in terms of its economic diplomacy uh, has been quite successful to date. So we know that the country was colonized by the Europeans, it maintained strong relations uh, with, with a number of those countries. Uh, the 70% of the population is of Indian heritage, um, and so there's, there's an affinity and, and a significant diaspora element, and uh, India is effectively the country's big brother. China is now looking to actively engage uh, and use the country as a military base, which is creating investment opportunities, which the country is leveraging quite well. And then in the context of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, uh, which is something that um, you know is going to be a big part of the, the continent's future, Mauritius is positioning itself to, to play an instrumental role in that. Uh, we know that it's got a number of DTAs with African countries, a number of investment uh, agreements as well. So, you know, the the broader issue over here, again, coming back to the point about, around reinventing the economic model, is around leveraging the comparative advantages. 
And I think in a context where Mauritius has always prided itself on being an open, attractive economy to the global superpowers, in a context of now more nationalism uh, and a change and a disruption in this approach, uh, you know, this is this geopolitical attractiveness is going to become very important uh, for it to leverage. Final question. I mean, we see nationalism on the rise just all over the world in the Trump era. It certainly mm. has taken to the fore. One wouldn't have fancied a, a cosmopolitan society as Mauritius to now suddenly be bitten by that bug, as it were. But you mentioned the fact that 70% of the population owes its heritage to India. When you say nationalism, then what is the predominant narrative? Final question. Yeah, so Mauritius has always been a country that's prided itself uh, on its diversity, on the fact that it's an inclusive society, on the fact that it's got different religions and races, and that there is social cohesion. Um, and, you know, those tensions were elevated at independence, but through education, through investments in healthcare, through good leadership, um, you know, it's, it's generally turned into a country that, that has uh, a sound, strong social contract where these things are, are, are rejected uh, across the board. However, when politi- politicians come under pressure and scrutiny, um, you know, they tend to invoke this, this, uh, this nationalism card. And, you know, you cannot put this, this, this notion of invoking, you know, ethnic Hindu nationalism, similar to what we're seeing under, under Narendra Modi in, in India, uh, where, you know, the Muslim community is, is targeted or there are issues with the Creole community resurfacing as people look for scapegoats to mask their governance issues. Mm. So, you know, whilst I think the, the, um, the unity is intrinsic to the social fabric and the, the functioning of Mauritian society um, and would represent a significant own goal if that was to be compromised, uh, I think in this climate that we're seeing globally, um, you know, hand on heart, it's difficult to say that it will never happen. And once the genie's out the bottle and exploited, mm. um, it becomes very dangerous. So, you know, I would like to think that uh, that the country will not go down that route, but uh, it's worth staying close to. Certainly is. Fascinating discussion on politics and international relations. Ronak, thank you so much for your time. I don't imagine this is our last conversation because judging by how this one went, you and I surely have a date again on air here in South Africa's SAFM station. Fantastic. Excellent. That was the show then, fellow South Africans. Thank you so much for your time, especially to my take of a guest earlier on today, Michelle Krustenhoff. It's time for the book reading.